Hey, this is Brad Biley, and you just found Insights, the most listened to podcast by recruiters and staffing owners who want to learn what's working in recruitment and digital marketing. If you're new to the show, here's what you can expect to hear. Every other week, Matt Lozar, Haley Marketing's Director of Recruitment Marketing, and I, our Director of Digital Marketing, break down what's working for staffing and recruiting firms across North America. But Insights is not a marketing show. It's a show built to help you get more job orders and more applications. And whether you stumbled upon the show or you're here on purpose, we're glad you're here. Let's get to it. What's up? This is Brad Biley, and welcome back to another episode of Insights, the podcast built to help you with your recruitment and digital marketing. As always, I'm joined by Haley Marketing's Director of Recruitment Marketing, Matt. How are we feeling this week, buddy? We're doing well, Brad. How are you? I'm good. Uh, back to work after a great Massachusetts Staffing Association annual conference. Um, charged up, man. A lot of really good takeaways from that conference that, Matt, honestly, man, I want to get started right away and just get right into what I learned from the conference because I think there's two huge takeaways that when I texted them to you, I think stopped you in mm. your tracks. Yes, they're they're good. So let's let's get going. Brad's back from back on the road. He's energized, doesn't need as much pre-workout and coffee as he usually does. So he's back. ready to go. Yeah. So Massachusetts Staffing Association, shout out to Christine for for organizing mm-hmm. another great event. Great friend of the show, great friend of Haley Marketing, um, and really just great friend of mine. She's she's been very, very uh welcoming to Haley Marketing over the years. So want to give her a shout out. Another great conference though, and one of the opening keynotes was an economist who was talking about labor trends and talking about really the current labor crisis. And Matt, we talk all the time about, oh, you know, there's not enough workers. We have open job boards, but we can't find talent. And she presented a couple interesting facts that I had never thought of. Matt, the first drug overdose deaths in employable men, we're only talking about men, are up a lot. 72,000 in 2019, 93,000 in 2020, and 107,000 in 2021 and 2022. When we think about where is the workforce going, Matt, sadly, we're killing ourselves. And when we can't find good talent, this is this is data, not just in overdoses, this is data in employable men. Matt, terrifying. It is. It's sad. Um and not to go down the dark path, it, it's one of the factors, right? Where people are like, why is there no workplace? Like we could do a whole show on that. And I'm sure the presentation did, Brad's summarizing it here quickly for us, but that's the thing. It's it's all these different factors coming together. And it, it's it's sad that's one of them. Um, you know, we always said, you know, obviously deaths from the pandemic, but then now there's almost related maybe deaths or just, you know, continuing um, a trend here that's just unfortunately hurting the workforce. So there's another one I know you also want to share. Yeah. And as I'm looking at the checklist, I might share a couple more, Matt. I know we were just going to use this as a way to open the show with one or two key takeaways, but young worker, I'm sorry, the younger working population is drying up. And by 2034, older adults will outnumber children for the first time in US history. Matt, the fact is we're living below the 2.1 birth replacement rate, and we're currently living at a 1.64 birth replacement rate per female. Frankly, as we progress, we're not going to have the talent in terms of just we're not replacing the people that are leaving us, sadly. This has been on the trends for a while. I feel like it was at Staffing World. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was at, they talked about this, like the, the long-term birth rate yeah. is just not happening. People don't get married yep. as often or um, as young. Mm-hmm. So there's just literally fewer people being born. Yeah. 
I feel like this is also happening in, in China, possibly, where they had a limit on the birth rate and now they're struggling with population issues. That was actually reviewed. This isn't just a statistic across the United States. The birth rate in terms of documented immigrants coming to the United States is also down. So it's not even that we can get immigration to help with that um, influx of talent that we'll need. That birth rate is also lower. So there's three things. Like it's it's not just one thing. We're like, why aren't people going to work? Well, would you like the the would you like me to pull out my laundry list and notebook here of 27 things that are causing that? Brad's given us three in three minutes. So what else did you have? The last one, and and this Matt I think was just as alarming as the the overdose and um you know unfortunate suicide numbers that were shared. Millennials will receive an estimated 1.6 trillion dollars through wealth transfers from their boomer parents at an average of 1.2 million per family. Let me read that again, Matt. Millennials are anticipated to receive an estimated $1.6 trillion through wealth transfers from their boomer parents at an average of $1.2 million per family. Matt, millennials are about to get paid. And that is a giant- There's a lot here. Yeah, that's a giant concern. Go ahead. There's a lot here, and I'm not going to go down wealth gap, income gap, because that's probably going to lead to something that this show does not touch on with the 10-foot pole. But you said that, and it was I, I've heard of a lot of the other ones, right? The birth rates, unfortunate, you know, death by suicide, um, retirements, which we didn't talk about, birth rates, um, immigration not as high. But this one was interesting to me because wealth transfer is going to happen. So what are what are people going to do? Like millennials, geriatric millennials, which I am, you know, if it's Gen X, if it's, you know, Gen Z, whatever it is, it's, it's interesting what's going to happen there. Like my gut instinct was people, I don't know if they'll have life changing where they don't have to work. Depends on, I guess, how rich your parents are, but, um, they won't work as often. I feel like, I feel like that's, what's going to change. Like putting eight steps together. Like if I gave you enough money where you only had to work 20 hours a week, Sounds like a better work-life balance, right? You probably only yeah, have to work I mean, It sounds a like a better work-life balance. It's going to be interesting. And, and no one wants to see their parents go, right? But this is something that we as employers and as an industry need to think about. It's all these long-term effects that are just going to combine. Like there's going to be fewer people. There's And they're probably going to have to work less. So um, the workforce right. is going to change. So how are you going to keep your production facilities running, right? This is, it's crazy. It's crazy. Every revolution... I think that's the right word, has brought more jobs than the previous one. Like everybody's talking about AI and whatnot. And like, oh, it's going to cut away jobs. Well, every time in the past that we've had technology advancements, it leads to more jobs. So a wild thing that's just, it's happening is there's the short-term effect of, hey, I can't fill my nursing position. There's a long-term effect of, we really aren't going to have enough nurses in 10, 15 years because there just physically won't be the people we could even train. Correct. Correct. And in, in training is actually an interesting thing that came up too. Um, let me see if I can find it really quick in this in the, my notes here. Um, roughly 7 million of the 11 million open jobs need to be filled by someone with a college degree. The challenge there, Matt, is only 2.5 million unemployed have college education. So there's a disparity too there. So we need to be training people outside of maybe, you know, Brad has a marketing degree. He can be a marketer. We're thinking more of those transferable skills. But Matt, to your point about nurses, one, there's not going to be enough of them. There's not going to be enough bodies to be nurses. But two, the data is showing that even the people that need education to be in certain roles, we're not 
graduating people at the right rate to have those jobs. It's it's going to be fun to watch, fun, not fun to watch, interesting to watch how this is all going to play out. And, you know, you get down the whole college thing, right? As many people are going to go to college. Like that's a huge talking point if you start to get into the higher education industry. And I have a daughter who's nine. So it's like, hey, like is my 529 plan really 529 plan or hoping that everything bursts in nine years and you don't need to pay, you know, all that money I hopefully get from the, the Lozar family to pay for college, right? So it's this whole... It'll be fascinating to watch, but just educating ourselves about the trends, which is, you did a great job here, is will help us just learn more and start to get the the, the wheels turning because it's not a short term solution. It's going to be a, a long term, you know, trends that play out. Yeah, I mean, Matt, my my son's one now. I don't think his five twenty nine is going to be enough, and I'm trying to do everything I can for him. Right, and I mean, we're we're making donations, we're making uh, contributions rather, and it's like, hey, man, I'm doing all I can for you. But the way that college is going up and up and up, um, who knows? Well, hey, man, I, I know we we wanted to try to start the show differently, get right to a segment. Um, let's get to another one here. Let's talk about a QR code that I saw in the wild. And Matt, I'm going to be honest, man. I wasn't impressed. So friends, you know what a QR code is. Uh, during COVID, it was that funny looking square on every single table so that you didn't have to touch a menu. It's the the little QR code outside of a, a restaurant, maybe, where you can scan that and check out a menu. That's probably the most frequent use of a QR code. Well, Matt, I was uh, at Tim Hortons, local coffee cafe place in Buffalo, New York today. And uh, I saw a QR code as I was going through the drive-thru that said, now hiring managers apply online. And it was a QR code. So I'm sitting there. First off, I thought it was incredible placement. Anybody that goes to get a coffee in the morning, you know you're sitting there for... Let's call it five minutes, right? It's just regardless of how fast the line goes, you're sitting there. Okay, so I scan it. Now hiring managers took me to just a landing page of Tim Hortons, basically we hire and then available jobs, who Tim Hortons is as an employer brand. It was basically their career site, Matt, as we, we call it on Insights. To me, that's a marketing fail. I'm in line. You're advertising that that specific store is hiring managers. Let me apply to be a manager. Take me right there and reduce friction. Matt, what do you think? Two thoughts. One, I have a question. Did it take you to a Buffalo landing page or just Tim Hortons in general? Because also for those that aren't um, native to the Northeast, I had never heard of them before moving to Buffalo. Tim Hortons is in Western New York area, but also very obviously big in Canada. So was it just a Buffalo area or was it... Um, Tim Hortons in general. And as you try to figure that out, the second question I have is, hey, we're going to call them for some recruitment marketing. And if we get Tim Hortons as a client, hopefully we get Tim Hortons free for everyone. Um, so it took me to... But I think you're, you're spot on with the... Sorry, with the thought process about um, the friction, right? You're, you're hiring managers. So it took you to a landing page or whatever for Tim Hortons. And it was just, hey, come work at Tim Hortons. They have managers positions. They have obviously the, the frontline people um, you know, I don't know what you're called, a cashier, or, you know, someone up front or someone actually making the coffee or the, you know, donuts and in the back. So that's where it's frustrating that it wasn't more of a landing page to that position because managers is different than probably a lot of the other positions that Tim Hortons hires for. So it took me to Kelton Enterprises, which must be the corporation that owns Tim Hortons possibly. I don't, I don't know that insight, but it took me to keltonenterprises.com slash employment. And that, Matt, appears to be a filtered 
job board of things within a, we'll call it 10 mile radius. So I'm getting like Buffalo, East Amherst, North Tonawanda. So it's filtered. Now it's not telling me it's filtered, but it's not showing me jobs in Toronto. I think Kelm Enterprises owns the Tim Hortons in the Buffalo, Western New York market. So that would make sense. Okay. Okay. It's like so fr- their franchise up. and they own a bunch of them. Okay. So that adds up and that, 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 mm-hmm. that checks out. So that's good. So it's taking me to a landing page of all of the jobs in my, my proximity, which makes sense if the sign is just advertising that we're hiring where I got frustrated as a host of a show who's talking about recruitment marketing and marketing, digital marketing every other week and, and eats, sleeps and breathes this stuff. You're talking to me about becoming a manager at Tim Hortons. Let me apply to be a manager at Tim Hortons. And, and Matt, honestly, on the landing page, it doesn't even say manager. It says team member, Buffalo, team member, East Amherst. It it loses me, right? And for most people, maybe they don't even think about this, right? Maybe this is just a secondary thought of whatever. But for me, we talk about reducing friction so much. QR codes are so easy to generate. That sign probably cost $15 to make, right? It uses a template that I'm sure Tim Hortons corporate provides. You put a QR code on it. There it is. Why not have that go right to that job? It, it, it just, it, it's, a, it's a misstep for me. That's all. It's the same thing as a retail experience. If you see an advertisement for shoes or shirt, and it just takes you to the general landing page for apparel at the same company, you've lost the intent. No, I don't need slacks, as my podcast partner likes to slay, or a belt or a hat. I came for shoes. So it's the same principle of you want to complete that funnel. And we had the pay-per-click team on here you know, earlier this year on Insights. They, they did a great job talking about you know the ADA model. Um, because you got some awareness, you got some interest. Now the desire and action, you're, you're losing that part of the funnel there. So that's where you really have to think through. They're, they're working on it, but the friction got increased a little bit, unfortunately. And instead of just going to um, a landing page, you know, after Brad scanned the QR code, what opened up on his device, it, that's you know the landing page basically. After you click on the advertisement, wasn't just for that advertisement. It was it was general, and it, and it it's going to hurt the conversion success rate. So friends, if you're thinking of doing this for your staffing and recruiting firm, think about the action that you want somebody to take from that QR code, from that print piece. If we want to get somebody from print to take an action, drive them as far down the funnel as possible. Matt, secondarily to that, think about where your audience is hanging out. Tim Hortons must have 10,000 people come through their lines every single day, probably more than that they have an audience that's probably more engaged and more active than social media, than email. That is using their own line as a marketing avenue makes complete sense. Where is your audience hanging out? Where are people spending their time in Buffalo, New York, or wherever it might be for your staffing firm? And how can you capitalize on that audience that already exists? On top of that, if we're using a QR code, if we're using a call to action, if we're driving somebody to do something, let them do it when they get there. Matt, let's talk about preparing a marketing camp campaign around your best case study. Matt, I've been talking about case studies more and more uh, with prospects and clients lately, and that's why I wanted to bring it to the show. For this specific reason, I think having a case study, a case story, is the best way to show that you can talk the talk and walk the walk. I guess it's walk the walk in theory. You're not talking, you're showing, right? 
Um, having a case study needs to be more than just publishing the case study on your website, though. We need to surround an entire campaign with that case study and use that as a way to get it in front of the right people so that they see it and take action. And Matt, what I'm finding is that many staffing and recruiting firms will take the first step and create a case study. They'll put together, we had this challenge, or our client had this challenge, here was our solution, and here was the result. You know, we got 25 people to work at FedEx next week. We, we did it. We did exactly what the job order was in the time frame that they gave us. We were successful. That's a case study. It's published on a website and it disappears. Matt, I'm here today to challenge everybody to think about what's next. What do we do with that asset once we have it? Thoughts? You're right. You got to do something with it. It's like anything on your website. If it's a blog, any piece of content, we need to 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 shout it out to to just make it simple. And what can you what works well with it? You know, case studies are awesome. I hear all the time from our you know our, our sales team. Hey, case studies that we have because it it helps in the process. And when you when you go into a a process, and I'm going to go somewhere a little bit outside case studies here that I just ranted about on LinkedIn. It's your take, but like there are so many emails coming out right now, not just LinkedIn messages, emails with with most placeable candidates. Like, hey, I have four great candidates for you. Do you want them? You're sending them, but I haven't built any goodwill with that. So I have this great information. You need to, in the sales process, a case study is a great part of building trust in the long term. You're, you need to use that as part of your marketing. And that's where I'm trying to say, you know, I can't try to connect these two dots a little bit, but when people are sending emails over with their, their MPCs right now, I don't even know who you are. I, don't, I can't trust you. So build that trust over time. Showcase, hey, I've placed three people. These are t- testimonials. Here's the most placeable candidate. What you're talking about with case studies of you're trying to get new business, you know, you're trying to break down some new doors because job orders are down. Use that case study as part of your marketing process, and it's going to help you build some trust. Say, hey, we want to a guy down the street. He's pretty happy with us. We can help you beat them, basically. Could not agree more. People want to know that you're not only successful, but also that you can help them. And when we sell our why, and we sell how we do it, and then ultimately what we do, right, Simon Sinek's golden circle, if we can sell based on why we do things, how we do it, the case study itself, and then what we did, I think that's the perfect solution. And Matt, to your point about NPCs, I got one on LinkedIn the other day. Someone asked me if we were hiring, I was hiring an IT individual. Like, you clearly don't know who I am or what I do. We we need tech people at Haley Marketing. I'm sure our tech team is always looking for great talent, but that shouldn't come to me. I have nothing to do with that. So you're, you clearly aren't doing any research. I don't want to work with you just because of that. You're wasting my time. But Matt, once we put together that case study, let's surround it in a five to seven week email campaign. Let's surround it with social media campaigns. Let's surround it with paid ads. Let's surround it in Google's ad network. Let's use that as sort of our, our, I want to call it pillar content, but it's not really. Let's use that though as our cornerstone, right? And then everything that we do for the next two to three months all goes back to that case study. So that as you're reaching out to prospects in Buffalo, New York, who have similar interests, who are in a similar niche or a market, they know, hey, these guys can do this because I'm seeing that they already did it for this company. And we can use that as a cornerstone piece to then be tied to everything else that we do. And from there, 
your marketing campaign becomes so much more unique to you. And it's not just another Monday motivation post or a wacky holiday that doesn't matter. It's actual quantifiably how you help individuals in your local market. And that is what drives business. And now I'm going to ask you to turn that case study into a sell sheet. My stars, buddy. Last, last show, you were like, why would we do a sell sheet? Absolutely, though. I'm all for coming back to print because your team needs a toolbox of assets at their disposal when they need it, right? I, Matt, I, I must have educated, since that episode, I bet five clients uh, were educated into case studies and have now decided, yeah, we need new ones. Matt, I had I had one individual who was using an old case study where they were literally telling prospects to ignore part of it because they don't do that kind of business anymore. Friends, if you're listening to today's show and you have a case study and as or a, I'm sorry, a sell sheet and as you're dropping it off, a sell sheet, not a case study, as you're dropping it off to a prospect, you're crossing things off. That's a problem. That is a problem. That is a problem. We can buy some new ones. <laughs> yeah, we I I'd love to help. I'd love to help. But Matt to come back to it, bring it full circle. When we think about your case studies, it's more than just creating the case study and putting it on your website. It's more than just creating the case study, publishing it to your blog or publishing it to a section of your website. Think about how that case study can become a cornerstone piece to fuel every single thing that you do for the next two to three months. We're talking email. We're talking paid ads. We're talking social, your blog, print pieces, sell sheets, as Matt said. Maybe we're tying all of them together into a booklet. We're tying that into drop-offs, email signatures, your LinkedIn posts. Every single thing that you do is tying back to the value that you share in this case study. And Matt, that to me is a beautiful marketing strategy for the next upcoming quarter. Completely free from your friends at Insights. Matt, let's talk about Indeed. And you know a heck of a lot more about this than I do, so I am going to pitch it to you and then I'm frankly going to shut up and listen. Indeed's paper application has started. Matt, what do you know about it? Indeed is starting, um, well, let's take a step back. It, um, October 2022, their Indeed FutureWorks conference, they, one of their presentations, they announced they're changing their model from a pay-per-click model to a pay-per-started application model. So what that means is if you know Brad's going out and searching for marketing jobs in Buffalo, New York, instead of the company on the sponsored job getting charged when he clicks on the different jobs in their search results, companies are now going to get charged when you click on that apply now button or that apply on company site button, whatever the apply process is. Indeed made that change because they keep hearing from companies. Oh, Brad's out there just clicking around, look window shopping jobs, and he has no intent to apply to maybe 98% of the jobs he's clicking on. But when he does, he's, He's thought about it and he's clicked on a job that he wants to apply for. So Indeed is is positioning this as charging companies when someone actually shows intent to apply for a job, not just when they're out there, they're searching around. The This has started to roll out a little bit. You know, some test clients, beta clients are doing with some small businesses. And instead of, so instead of getting charged pay-per-click, you're getting charged on pay-per-started application. We'll start there. I don't think it's going to change much. It's been one of the questions we've had a lot. Oh, it's going to change my metrics. It's going to increase my costs. It could if Indeed charges more. But just on the basis, I think your metrics will just change a little bit because you, you know, a really strong um, strategy when you're optimizing campaigns is you should be optimizing the cost per application anyway. 
cost per click tells you something, conversion rate tells you something, right? They're all you know ingredients in the recipe, but cost per application is what you have at the end. So that shouldn't change just because Indeed's going to change the way it charges, unless Indeed just artificially says, hey, Brad, we're going to charge you more for your, your job postings now instead of in the past. Should we worry about this? Um, we got more. So maybe. Um, I don't think we should worry about how Indeed is charging. I don't think so. These could be faithful words that I'm you know, sticking my foot in my mouth, but I don't think so. My gut says no. Um, the next step is this whole um, new tactic about accepting and rejecting candidates. So Indeed can receive your jobs in one of two ways. It can be hosted, or excuse me, index jobs, right? You have a feed of jobs from your website or from your ATS that go over to your Indeed page. Someone can apply either right on Indeed or right, go back to your website. Then you receive their application. That's called um, index jobs. Hosted jobs is when you manually copy and paste your jobs into the Indeed platform. When someone applies to your job, their application lives inside the Indeed platform. That's called hosted jobs. In my first example of index jobs, the applications don't live inside the Indeed platform, right? If I want to go in and evaluate my application, I have to go into my email address or go into my ATS and check it out. Indeed is providing the option for companies who copy and paste their jobs into Indeed and the applications live inside the Indeed platform. They're giving me the option within 72 hours to say, okay, accept or reject this application. If you reject it, you're going to get your credit back, goes back to your budget, repeat and recycle. So you have 72 hours to do that. Weekends count where someone has to go into your Indeed company account and accept or reject the application. Interesting. So that's Mm -hmm. super interesting to me. Mm -hmm. One, it speaks to speed to market, which our industry that I've heard at various conferences is slow in getting back to candidates. That's not my take. That's from what I've heard at different conferences is that statistically and sort of stereotypically, candidates apply and then it takes our industry a while to get back to people. This is saying, well, if you do it within 72 hours, we'll give you your money back basically if it's not the right fit. So that now is now enticing people to get back to candidates quicker on Indeed. I like that. Second to that, it's interesting to me that it feels as though Indeed is trying to refine its targeting so that it's going to build feedback based on who doesn't qualify for certain roles, right? It's going to start to build probably through AI, build parameters of, okay, these types of people aren't working. Stop showing more of these, stop showing types of this type of individual, this ad, show it to more of this type of individual because Matt's staffing firm likes this type of individual. Is that scary? Maybe, right? We can't get into protected classes and things like that, but that's sort of what I'm hearing as well is they're going to use technology to, to ultimately serve you better applications, in my opinion. There's a lot of pros and cons here, I think, with with this change. It needs to focus on, you know, it's exciting to hear, oh, I can reject a candidate's application and get my money back. But let's think about it a little bit. One, you have to be copying and pasting basically your jobs into the Indeed platform. You have to live inside the Indeed platform. So it's almost like a second ATS, which can be a challenge. You have to have someone responsible for going in and looking at all your applications, which is time. It's not automated. And if you forget, you're going to get charged. A no response is a charge. And you're really going to have to know how to manage that budget. So it's a lot of pros and cons there. There's some good and there's some bad in terms of going into to accept and reject those candidates. 
Matt, so where does somebody get started, right? So let's say somebody's listening to this. Is this rolled out for everybody? Is this in a beta test? Where where are we at in terms of Brad Staffing Firms listening right now? And they're like, hey, this is kind of interesting. What do I do? Haley Marketing clients are um, the ones where we manage job spend are rolling out May 1st. Um, oh, and there's another aspect of this. I forgot. This is whew, long issue. Um, I think it's rolling out for everybody quarter two. I don't think they're doing everybody in one shot. It's been rolling out beta small companies and it's slowly going out. Um, so they're getting there in quarter two. Um, we have a, I did a LinkedIn Live about this earlier in April. I, we talked about it on the podcast. I have some information on the recruitment marketing website, recruitmarketers.com, excuse me. Um, it all talks about this if you like it in text format. And the other side of it is um, Indeed is now going to have a minimum spend per job. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be company dependent. Um, for Haley Marketing, it's going to be $25 a job, where if your job's in a campaign or if you just copy and paste it there, that you're going to have to allocate to that job. And with a campaign, I mean, if you have a group of jobs, let's say 10 jobs, your minimum budget for that entire campaign needs to be $250. So that's something that you just need to watch. Um, here at Haley Marketing, probably about... We did an audit of our clients recently. Maybe 10% or got some challenges there. And maybe another 20 or like a yellow on the red, yellow, green scale. And the rest are okay. So it wasn't a huge deal. But um, for the 10% that are in red, they're going to have some work to do. For the 20% in yellow, just some refinement. But a lot going on. Um, we have some information. I have it on my LinkedIn live page. We have this podcast. We have it on recruitmarketers.com. You can always reach out to me as well, you know, LinkedIn or email. And we're, we're happy to look at your data. Um, we're doing a lot of data analysis for companies in the beginning of the process to see what's working well and what's not working well, what can be improved. And it's a complicated issue that seemingly gets complicated, you know, another factor every year. And this seems to be the one this year that's becoming, you know, just a big change from the top um, job board, job aggregator in the industry. Yeah. And, and really, Matt, the the value here, and and I'll say it because I don't, I don't think you did. The value here is is Matt and his team are always on this, right? And if things are changing on Indeed or in recruitment marketing they're going to know about it near the front of the line. So if you're at all interested in in having Matt look at your recruitment marketing or look at your job advertising budget, or you need a hand with your job advertising and in your recruitment marketing, I would strongly encourage you to reach out to Matt on LinkedIn to get that conversation started. If anything, just because his team is at the forefront of all of this, making sure that your organization can also be at the forefront of all of this. Friends, before we get out of here, I got one more thing to tell you about. I want you to look at haleymarketing.com slash big ideas and register today for your free pass to the club. By joining Big Ideas, you'll get access to all of Haley Marketing's exclusive freebies, like our Big Ideas newsletter with our latest insights, invitations to lunch with Haley webinars, and first notice about new products and our specials. Again, you can get that by going to haleymarketing.com slash big ideas to register today for your free pass to the club. That's our show. And thank you for listening to another episode of Insights. If you found this episode valuable, we would love to know. You can message Matt or Brad on LinkedIn to share your thoughts. Have a question for us? You can tweet us at Haley Marketing and let us know what you're thinking or email info at haleymarketing.com. And of course, if you need a hand with your marketing or recruitment marketing initiatives, we would love to help. You can check out haleymarketing.com to get in touch with our team of marketing educators. Be sure you tell them that Insights sent you. For my podcast partner, Matt Lozar, this is Brad Biley. We'll see you next time.